Welcome to Two For None, a cricket comedy podcast hosted by arguably the greatest first slip slash lower order hitter slash wily left arm orthodox that the Mosman Park Pirates 10th grade side ever saw, Christopher T. Barty. G'day Barty, how are you sir? I'm good thanks Paddy, how are you mate? Mate, living the dream, living the dream. And me, well, I'm currently 34th on this year's 6th grade Summerhill Cricket Club wicket takers list with some of the most inaccurate swinging bowling the game's ever seen. My name is Patrick Cullen. But uh, Chris, it isn't all about us, mate. There's this little thing called the Ashes going on. Um, so coming up in this episode, we're just going to finalise the great first test up at the Gabba, preview the day-nighter tomorrow at the Adelaide Oval, and hear a British bulletin from our UK correspondent, Tom the Hawk Hawkey. Um, B-Train, let's get into it. Uh, what did you make of the 11 coming into that first test of the Gabba? Yeah, well, it certainly um, was uh, quite a talking point, wasn't it, coming into the first test, and it's really interesting, um, you know, I felt after last year's uh, home test series where we kind of had that massive turnover there leading into the Adelaide uh, day-night test um, that we find found ourselves in a similar position following a tough tour of the subcontinent. Um, you know, initially a lot of the chat was around that number six batting position mm. um, with, of course, uh, Sean Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Mitch Marsh um, yeah. and, and the likes all fighting for that, for that position and Ultimately, um, you know, it seems that uh, the Australian selectors decided to go with the old adage of uh, better, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Oh. Um, yeah, bit of a proverb early in the pod. Um, <laughs> side note, I'm keen on making a, a proverb pub, pub, a, a pub. A proverb pub? A proverb pub, which is separate to a proverb podcast. Oh, I was a mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah, pub to launch soon. Um, brought to you by Mattel. Um, <laughs> but uh, sounds like it's going to be a huge success. Man. Yeah, just in time for Christmas. Get your pubs. Um, kids love them. Kids um, love their pubs. Love a pub. Um, but no, look, it was certainly that uh, they decided to go. You know, with Sean Marsh there, and uh, look, certainly a contentious selection. But I think you know Sean Marsh prior to his injury at the end of. The last uh, Sheffield Shield season was certainly quite productive, and yeah. um, you know had a really productive JLT uh, uh, domestic one day domestic season. So um, you know, look, he certainly had some runs and some form on the board. Um, I think you know Maxwell could probably count himself unlucky being the um, being the incumbent, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know the other candidates for the uh, for the number six position um, probably Hanscom. You know, found himself in the team in another way. Yeah, and look, interesting you should mention Mish Marsh, mate. Today, or at least this week, he um he made 141 batting at four for WA. And then um, in classic Jason Berendorf fashion, the Dorf uh, went down. And even though he's not supposed to be bowling for another three weeks, he took the ball, Mitch, and took Tufa with the ball. Um, so a bit of a return to form, Mitch. I think we might see the WA captaincy really doing good things for him. I think that might actually really help his batting in his life, you know? Look, I definitely agree with you there, Paddy. Um, I think, you know, first of all, we all know what a damaging player Mitch Marsh can be. And I think certainly, um, you know, maybe in the past he suffered from a little bit of a mercurial man syndrome where, you know, something <laughs> the likes of uh, the likes of uh, Andrew Simons and Glenn Maxwell and, and those mm. sorts of players who can do a little bit of everything, you know, they can bowl a bit, they can take a game away with you, with, you know, with the bat within, you know, 10, 20 overs. 
and in the uh, field you know, as well. Expert fielders, and I think Mitch Marsh maybe fell a little bit into that category and maybe suffered a little bit from um, you know the, the uh, hopes of the Australian cricketing public um, to be able to find the next Jacques Callis or or Fred Flintoff and that kind of thing. And um, you know, it was maybe his uh, mental fortitude that was one of the things that. Uh, People question about him as they often do yeah. with the Miracle Men. And, uh, you know, but the opportunity to captain WA may just bring the best out of him. And it appears to have started off well. Well, look, mate, I think you and I were talking about this the other day that, that maybe searching for Shark Callis, you know, waiting for one of those to just appear is a bit of a tough ask. And, and that we've got to approach players for where they're at, you know, not for what we want them to be or or this idea of you know this perfect all-rounder who can average 50 with the bat and bowl 29 with the ball maybe that's too much to ask of any one person i don't know well you know it's almost as if the australian cricketing public has um ugly parent syndrome <laughs> you know? what do you mean by ugly well, parents well you know we've got these massive high expectations we're putting a lot of pressure on the kids you know, we we want to, you know, we're, we're living through them because we ourselves have no particular skill, so we, you know, so we do a lot of yelling um, yeah. and, you know, and um, they're just there, you know, giving their best, just yelling back at us going, can't you love us for who we are, dad? <laughs> you know? You're not my real dad. Yeah, you're not even my dad. Like, you're just, uh, you know, an ambiguous, um, you know, analogy. <laughs> you're, you're a conglomerate. I can't meet the expectations of a conglomerate. Nobody um, can. It's impossible. Nah, yeah, bloody hard. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, if we look at the skill set that Mitch Marsh does bring to the table, I mean, you know, mm. bowls 140 clicks and, um, you know, as you see, can can be a third seamer in an attack, um, you know, swings it both ways and, yeah. um, you know, and uh, obviously can score runs on his day as, as we've seen. So, um, you yeah, I think it's you're exactly spot on. You know, they brought a very young cricketer with some raw potential um, into the test team, um, and then expected him to uh, set the world on fire overnight. Um, look, I don't think he'll play in Adelaide, but I, do, I don't think it's the last we've seen of uh, Mitch Marsh in an Australian uniform. That's for sure. Well, mate, if he keeps hitting hundreds and taking wickets, he'll definitely be putting some pressure on his big brother, that's for sure. I mean, we've got to say that Sauce did really well up at the Gabba, that coming in when we were four down, Australia was frankly in trouble, and Sauce came in with the skipper and made a solid 51, um, and that 51 really did get us out of a hole. I mean, the highlight of that whole game was Steve Smith's 141, off 326 balls, eight hours at the crease. I mean, it's just gratuitous. I mean, B-Train, if you were a bowler, I mean, I know you're a very wily left-arm orthodox, occasional left-arm <laughs> leg spinner, uh, but uh, how would you go for bowling to Steve Smith? Like, where would you be trying to attempt to put the ball? On the pitch. <laughs> Great response. Yeah, no, I agree uh, with that. Yeah, look, no. Well, once I put it on the pitch, um, <laughs> what would what, what I be looking forward to do? No, look, I think it's it's pretty hard to bowl to him, really, because um, you know he does have so, you know, he's, he's got such a high back lift, and his reaction times are so good. Um, and you know, if you ever watch him um, prepare for a ball, I mean, he's so fidgety. You can't actually yeah. look directly at him because if you look directly at him while he's preparing for the ball, you're going to have an epileptic fit. Like, 
you know, so that, that's not- It's like staring into the sun. Yeah. You know, you're pulling Donald Trump during the eclipse and just peering straight into the sun. It's going to burn your retinas out, for yeah, sure. I mean, uh, look, so to be honest with you, I mean, what do you, what do, you do? Um, you know, I think maybe you just you've got to take the old adage, you know, put it in good areas and, and wait and see what happens. I mean, I think certainly Joe Root, you know, had some really interesting plans in the- in the first test where he, uh, you know, sort of stacked, stacked the, the leg side field there. Um, and so clearly they've got something in mind, but, um, you know, they weren't able to execute because uh, Smudge was just a little too patient for them. Yeah, he was. He was extremely patient. So the the Englishman, let's let's just go through the scorecard here. The Englishman in their first innings, the Gab were all out for three oh two. The three new boys, Stoneman, Vince, and Milan, all got runs. Vince the highlight with eighty three. Starkey got three for seven seventy seven. Cummins three for eighty five. Line two for seventy eight. Uh, and Line actually get an extra star there because his run out of Vince was the thing of Jonty Rhodes. It it mm. brought happiness to my soul. Um, I, I literally screamed at my television. It was outrageous. Sure. Look, I'm really glad that your soul is in a good place um, <laughs> and that you were screaming. Um, you know, because <laughs> normally, you know, people with screaming souls aren't doing sure. that well. But, um, no. you know. Mine, top notch. Right. Top notch. Um, good to hear. <laughs> um, well, that's good. But <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, I think that the, the thing with the Australian attack, you know, at the moment, um, it is a, you know, it is very well balanced, you know, and, and clearly, mm. look, you know, as much as anyone, I like to see a balance of players from across the country. I, I uh. you know, don't necessarily want to see um, a New South Wales eleven out there, but you've got to say that uh, the way that attack is balanced at the moment is very nice. So you've sort of you, you're almost back at that sort of traditional sort of Australian uh, threesome of of pacemen where you have you know you sort of had your McGrath type. Um, bowling mm. line length in, in Josh Hazelwood. Um, you've got um, uh, someone raw like pace. raw pace um, in the form of uh, in the form of Mitchell Stark, who can obviously swing it and do devilishly devilish devilish things. Um, you know, coming from uh, left arm, so that offers a different angle um, and something gives the batsman something different to think about. Um, and then, of course, you've got um, uh, Pat Cummins, who can just bend his back. Um, and, and almost takes that kind of, um, that role of, uh, you know, someone like the Jason Gillespie or type and, uh, just well, mate, I was going to say that, uh, you know, Starkey might be taking more of a Jason Gillespie role, you know, offering yeah, something enough. different. I mean, just like Gillespie offered something different with that mullet, um, you know, that would really distract the batsman, uh, Starkey just bowls 150k in swingers. I mean, it's the same, same, but different. You know what I mean? Well, I think, Pat, you know, I mean, you posed the question to me earlier, how would I bowl to Steve Smith, I think what the country wants to know, Pat, is, is what would you do as a, a, as a batsman facing Mitchell Stark? Um, firstly, Chris, I would poop myself. Um, that would be my first port of call. I, I think that I need to go and get a special delivery from a well-known toilet brand manufacturer and, and deal myself from there. Um, secondly, I think I think what makes him so devastating is that he's so quick and can move the ball so far, especially early on as a right hander. The ball coming back in at pace is very difficult to handle. So um, I think you want to try and get forward as much as you can. Um, try and clip him off your pad, score through mid-wicket, and desperately hope that you don't cop a bouncer in the face. Be prepared to duck and weave. I think they've been setting that trap for the short ball very well, and I think England have been falling for it. 
um, that left arm at the body is going to be very, very difficult to play if you're not confident hooking the ball. And at the moment, the Aussies have really got the upper hand, especially on the English tail. Well, I'll tell you who is absolutely spewing at the moment, even if he says in the press that he's not. It's got to be uh, Jackson Bird because yeah. Jackson Bird at the moment is absolutely towering it up for Tasmania. Um, mm. And I believe, you know, recently took eight for so, um, yes. in, in the match. So, he's bowling extraordinarily well. So, you know, so rich are the Australian pace stocks at the moment. Um, but you've got guys that, um, you know, aren't going to get a look in. And, you know, we even talked, you know, we obviously talked about Berendorf before, who's a class bowler. Um, you know, doing some great things, obviously out with injury at the moment. Same with that. Chad Sayers. Chad Sayers. Chad Sayers. Um, I mean, Chad Sayers has so many wickets. He doesn't even, he's got nothing else in his house now. His <laughs> house is made of the stumps of his victims. Uh, he, he, you know, it's a 10 bedroom house, Chris. There, are, There's four bathrooms all made out of stumps all over the joint. Um, it is, it is, and he can't get a game. I mean, unless... Unless, you know, Hazelwood goes down, then both Bird and, and um, Chad Sayers are really not going to look in the side. Um, he's really, they really do fill a similar role. I mean, Sayers could come in for someone like Paddy Cummins. I mean, touching wood here, Chris. We don't want to see injuries to any of those players. But at the moment, it's hard to see any of those blokes. Being a fast bowler in Australia right now, it's, you're not yeah. on the line for the test side. It's tough. It's, 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 it's hard times, isn't it? But, you know, by the same token, there's so many guys in, in there in and around the first class scene that could come in at any stage and, uh, and do a really good, uh, really good job there. So, look, it's interesting. It's exciting to see, Chris. I can't see, can't see it changing too much. And, look, I want to, just want to touch on for a moment, mate. Um, you mm. know, well, I'd like to, you know, if he was, you know I'd, I'd like to touch him if he was around. You know, such, <laughs> such is the greatness of that. You know, nothing, nothing, you know, um, untoward. No, just to hope to suck yeah. a little bit of that greatness into just, your own uh, self. Yeah. A little bit of a suck and touch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the greatness. The, um, um, the, nothing else. Obviously. You know, Obviously. No, I'm with you. you. Know, I'm on your page. You know, let's keep it above board here, Patrick. Um, it's a G-rated pod. Um, I've got pods to sell, Pat. Um, but, but um, no, look, Nathan Lyon, mate. Um, not bad. Nathan Lyon. Oh, mate, I think not bad is the most casual um, review of, of his bowling at the Gabba. He was bowling bombs, Chris. He was bowling absolute grenades. There was explosions everywhere full of the chips of English batsmen's bats. It was uh, spectacular. You know what? I think he's really learnt a lot from bowling in the subcontinent. His his range of deliveries now is, is quite spectacular. He's got balls that turn a lot. He's got natural variation. He's got ones that slide on. I think He's learned a lot from watching uh, Mr. Harath bowl so well. And I think he's learned a lot from Ravi Ashwin as mm. well and really brought that into his own bowling. Mm. Um, and he really did out bowl Mo and Ali. I mean, poor Mo and Ali had his finger blister split open in the second innings and was really ineffectual. But even in the first, he was getting about three degrees of turn to Nathan's lines near six. So that's going to make a huge difference with that bounce as well. Yeah. I mean, what did you make of him, mate? Oh, mate, I mean, uh, you know, He's just gone on another level, really, hasn't he? I mean, you know, he's already Australia's greatest wicket-taking uh, off-spinner, of course, the GOAT. Um, the GOAT. The GOAT. Uh, which, oh, look, I'm getting a bit sick of that uh, nickname, mate, the GOAT. Not so much for, not so much for uh, Nathan Lyon, but I do feel it's a bit overused. Everyone's the bloody, <laughs> everyone's the bloody GOAT or something these days, you know? Like, everyone wants to be the bloody GOAT. Um, it's just a bit frustrating. 
Um, <laughs> Look, Bardo, I'm going to give you another couple of weeks. We've got a couple more pods to go, but I want you to really work on that. You're a man who loves a nickname. Um, if you can come back with something better, something catchier, sure. um, I, I'm going to put that in your court. Oh, I'll, see, look, I'll see what I can do um, and, and we'll see how we go. But um, <laughs> no, look, mate, I think you know, clearly he's gone on another level. I mean, you know, he, he really did have the batsman in all sorts. And, you know, I mean, the key wicket really of, of the whole test match um, had to be the stumping on um, Moen Alley. Um, yeah. You know, and that's important for a couple of reasons because, um, first of all, you know, uh, as we know, Lyon, you know, we, Australia employed a number of spinners uh, after Warren and, um, oh. you know, uh, we really went through a bit of a, uh, a, a I was going to say a pony go round, merry go round, <laughs> uh, a merry go round of ponies, a pony show. Um, uh, you know, spin- went through a pony spinners show. Spinners there and, uh, you know, Obviously, Lyon has settled into that role for the last couple of years, but there was always a question mark over his place um, in the team. And you'd often see like, um, you know, after he'd been in the team for a while, you'd see those little uh, infographics come up where they compare his test record to someone like Nathan Horitz. Um, yeah. You know, oh, look, I feel like Nathan Horitz was probably hard done by, but um, I, yeah, second, I yeah. think that also doesn't say, um, you know, show a lot of faith in your test spinner. And, you know, there often was the question, you know, is, is Nathan Lyon the man to bowl Australia to victory? And I felt like, you know, in this test match, he answered emphatically, yes, I am. You know, and, and as I said, that, that wicket of Moen Alley was so critical, um, I, I think, for two people. First of all, Nathan, Nathan Lyon, as we just mentioned, but also uh, Tim Payne. Um, yeah. You know, because everyone was, was very sceptical of his inclusion. Um, again, I also feel somewhat unfairly um, in, in the test side. Um, but he, he proved his worth with that dismissal. Um, so, uh, that was a critical moment in the match and I, and I think it's uh, something that secured both it their spots really for the rest it. of the summer. Absolutely, man. I really think that, that um, Tim Payne's wicketkeeping there was quite very, very solid. It was rapidly fired work. I think Mo and Ali can feel a little hard done by. Um, I think credit really does need to go to the groundskeepers oh. at the Gabba who just put an extra layer of paint well, on that line. Well, I think it's excellent that they allow the work experience kid uh, <laughs> you know, a chance to paint the lines. I mean, I'm all for it. Um, and look, it paid dividends this time. But what happens next test if they go a bit skinny? Ah, Chris. And that's something we're definitely going to be looking at the lines in Adelaide. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll get there in a a second, but I think you're absolutely right, mate. I think that wicket was key. Ali at 40 was starting to look real good. He was playing the sweet shot very effectively. um, And he and Johnny's best, they formed a very good partnership. uh, Outside of that, Roots 51 was key as well. Um, but the, the English all fell away for 195. Uh, Starkey got three for, Hazelwood got three for. And you know what I love? Josh Hazelwood, let's be honest, he's the slowest bowler, slowest quick we've got, right? And he's still clocking 140s. But he was so aggro in that second innings. He was bowling more bounces than Cummins and Stark. And those boys are bowling like 140, 150. And Joshy Hazelwood is in there going, nah, sunshine, I'm yeah. going to get up in your grill. Yeah, I mean... Um it just speaks volumes, really, doesn't it, of, of, of where the Australian attack is at the moment. And did you see today our mate um, Jimmy Anderson came out and said that he complained to the umpire about dangerous bowling? Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He complained to Erasmus. 
And Erasmus promptly told him to uh, change his point of view right. and uh, get back to Murray. Murray told him where to go. Um, <laughs> I told him to take a hike. Yeah, good, on, good on you, Murray. Um, oh, look, it's interesting that they can play the dangerous bowling, though, isn't it? Because that line that they were bowling to Steve Smith there for a while was being compared to modern-day body lines. So. Oh, it was outrageous. 7-2 leg side field body line get out of town and then to, to i mean it's the hypocrisy of, of jimmy anderson there's nothing jimmy likes more than getting up in people's faces um and and staring the pot a bit and i think he's done that with that comment very effectively well, i'll tell you what um, um, in terms of uh, uh jimmy anderson pot stirring mate how is that buddy um uh peg back at uh, young uh bancroft <laughs> And nothing is better than Cam Bancroft copping a ball in a sensitive area from a throw from a fast bowler and staring him down. Just staring him down. Oh, look, mate. On his first, first test. test. And, you know, and, you know, was unbeaten, um, you know, to help Australia win the game. And uh, I don't think you could ask much more for Cam from Cam Bancroft. Um, you know, for a uh, test match debut, really. Um, I mean, clearly copped an absolute peach in the first innings. Um, yeah. But uh, I thought bounced back well. It was interesting, too, to read in the paper that uh, David Warner reckons that he uh, contained himself uh, in the second innings oh, to yeah. allow uh, <laughs> Bannis to take a little bit more of the strike. Oh, well, David's very generous of him. I mean, in the end, they ended up with Warner got 87, Bancroft got 82. We chased down the runs one by 10 wickets. I mean, when you look at the scorecard in retrospect, Bardo, it looks like an absolute thrashing. Um, but the game was actually a lot tighter than the scoreboard reveals. Mm, mm. Oh, look, absolutely. I think, you know, we were all very nervous um, there when uh, Pat Cummins came to the crease in the first dig for Australia. I think, you know, almost that sense of, uh, sense of foreboding um, you know, here we go again. Mm. Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, um, you know, the, the, uh, Australia's middle order, um, and top order for that matter still has some work to do. Um, but I think over the course of the match, we saw enough from enough to think that, okay, we're going to be all right, uh, moving forward. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, just touching on Cam Bancroft again, I think, you know, look, you, you sure. cop a, you cop a cricket ball of the nads. And a headbutt when you're trying to have a you know drink at the pub, uh, and you make eighty. You know, I mean, it's not a bad not a bad story to t- tell the kid, is it? Mate, there is so much Justin Langer going on in Camp Bancroft. There is so much JL. I mean, he's just that tough, gritty guy. Do you know that? In the first innings, he was in a bat pad, and I can't remember which English batsman it was. Played a pull shot, hit him in the face off the grill into the shoulder and apparently Bancroft was upset with himself that he didn't mm. catch it. Mm. Well, that's what you want. It's what you want. Um, <laughs> that is phenomenal. You know, uh, I know when I get hit in the face, uh, I'm often upset too. So, um, <laughs> something we, you know, look, it's just, it's just nice to have something in common you and Bancroft, you know, with the greats. So much thing in common. So much in common. Um, okay, fella. So, look, the Australians have announced a, a unchanged mm. squad going into Adelaide. The pitch looks a little bit harder than last year. A little less grass on it. So, I'm expecting that ball to deteriorate a bit sooner. Um, what, what do you reckon are going to be the key things to come out of Adelaide, mate? What are you going to be watching for? Ooh, um, I mean, Adelaide has traditionally sort of go the distance, don't they? I mean, we remember um, amazing Adelaide, of course, uh, you know, oh. in 2006, six seven, 
which of course turned out to be uh, Damian Martin's uh, uh, farewell test. You might remember that was his last test True. match. And he sort of um, uh, retired in a very um, quiet manner. I think he fired an email off to uh, uh, his teammates and that was it. Um, so, look, uh, you know, Adelaide has a tendency of going the distance. So, I think we'll see a five-day test match here for sure. I think, um, oh. yeah, for sure. Oh, I think it's going to go five days, mate. I'm, I'm not quite sure on the timing. I, I've never been a big one for starting a test match on a Saturday. Um, I'm not sure. quite sure. Um, having said that, though, you know, it is a day-night test and, and we do know that wickets sort of tend to fall a little bit after dark. And it was interesting, I think, watching the women's um, Ashes Test match where, you know, even though that match was a draw, and I think it was a three-day game, wasn't it, which is just ridiculous. Um, let the ladies oh, play five, please. Silly. Um, especially after Elise Perry had that amazing uh, 200 knot. Yeah, let's just take a moment to say how awesome Elise Perry is and how sad I am that she can't bat six oh, for Australia. Love Elise Perry. In the men's side, oh, sorry. Well, look, um, she should. Just <laughs> um, should. She's the oh, best number six mate, in the I country. Would say, uh, not even six, mate. I'd promote up to five. Um, Peter, Petey Hanscom, under a bit of pressure. Um, <laughs> oh, Petey, you're on it, mate. Um, but uh, uh, no, I think I think you know we saw in that women's test match, you know, that it's the team, you know, that can deal the best with that kind of um, transition to darkness, if you like. Um, that, that will win the game. Um, you know, uh, we saw the English team, I think, lose a lot of wickets uh, in, in that period and, um, and whereas the Aussies were, were able to sort of hang on a little bit better. I think if we can see that again um, this week, it'll be the team that hangs on at dusk um, that wins the game. Yes, Chris, I think you make a great point there. And look, conditions are going to suit both bowling attacks. I mean, let's not deny it. If James Anderson gets that ball swinging around at night time, he could be very, very, very difficult to deal with. Same goes for the young Stuart Broad, um, the man with the most punchable face in Australia. Oh. Uh, oh. Just, I know, right? So don't, wouldn't you want to punch him? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, the I, same I love to give the old, the other side of the coin, broad, the old Johnny Bairstow, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the old Johnny Bairstow, hello. Um, and the same goes for us, though, fella. I mean, we all know what Starkey can do with the pink ball. If he decides that it's go time, then then the English could find themselves in trouble. So I completely agree there, mate. Um, we've announced an unchanged squad. Do you see any changes coming in for the Poms? Oh, look, hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I don't know... That anyone was overly awful. I think if there was one player that you'd maybe be looking at for a change, um, you might be looking at, say, Jake Ball um, to come sure. out. But I'm just not sure who you're replacing with at this stage. What do you think, mate? Well, there's talk of bringing in their young leggy. Um, his name momentarily escapes me. But uh, I believe that players have talked about seeing the seam of the pink ball in at high revs can be very difficult to tell a leggy from the wrong one. Um, and that could play a role. I mean, if players are struggling to see the seam, tell which way the ball's going to move, then that could be an option. Also, Jake Ball, I mean, at having another seamer in that attack doesn't really seem to add a lot to me. I think that especially if Moeen can't spin the ball as much as he would like, if his finger's giving him trouble, then they may need to bring in a spinner to be able to cover that. I mean, I'm still playing Moeen in as a batsman at this point. I think he's been playing Nathan Lyon really well, and I think he's been batting really well full stop. 
Um, to be fair, though, I think Bairstow should be probably batting above Moeen. That seems like a better option to me. But I'm not the English captain, Chris. Otherwise, I wouldn't be well, doing this maybe, part. Yeah, that's right. Um, maybe they <laughs> feel as though uh, Bairstow um, maybe offers some, uh, a, a more mature head um, when it comes to batting with the tail. Like, that could be something. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Moeen's a pretty experienced cricketer, so you think you could probably play him anywhere. True. But, um, look, I, I tend to agree. The weird thing for me with Jake Ball was um, you know, he, he hadn't bowled a lot of overs um, in the game and they were talking about that he's sort of someone that needed a bit of extra time to uh, transition from the Duke ball to the Kookaburra. Um, yet, when the game oh. was in what we sort of affectionately call junk time, so, you know, the results are short and you kind of know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I thought they maybe would have thrown in the ball a little bit more than what they did um, rather than, say, bowling, you know, giving six overs to Joe Root. Um, yeah, because this True. is a guy that, you you know, you want to play into form because, you know, clearly they brought him for a purpose. Um, I thought that was just kind of a weird kind of thing. But, look... You know, we'll wait and see. I, I expect uh, England to bounce back. I don't think um, this is a team that's going to roll over. Um, I think the Stokes controversy actually hurts them more than it helps them. Um, and what I hope is that there's a, there's a number of guys in that camp now who are interested in proving themselves and saying, hey, look, you know, we don't have Stokes here, but we're still a team that can do some damage. He's the elephant in the room, you know. He he could go either way. He could come back and play in Perth or he might not. But England are definitely missing him. There's a hole in that middle order without him there. I mean, he's such a hell of a player. He's, anyone would miss him. Well, from what I understand, reading news articles uh, last day or so, and look, I'm, I'm no lawyer. Um, as <laughs> <laughs> my guest um, look, me up on link- look me up on LinkedIn you'll see degrees that are pretty far away from law um, but um, from what I understand this case has been uh, referred to the Crown Prosecution Service um, for advice on how to correctly charge him so it doesn't bode well for an Ashes return um, and mm. I, look, I understand he's he's gone to um, New Zealand to play a bit of first class cricket. But um, yeah, let's not forget he was born in New Zealand. So um, yes, it puts him on standby, and and you know he's geographically close. But I really think until the matter's resolved you know, from a legal sense, um, I don't think we'll see him playing. Um, I think the distraction that the English team would get in the press um, for playing a guy who look if you've seen the footage he pretty he's pretty brutal um, you yeah know, you know I mean I, um, look and we all have moments that we regret not look I've never met Ben Stokes and I don't know him as a person and maybe it was just a momentary thing but um, I think the negative press attention he would bring particularly the way that you know the British and Australian uh, press can be would probably outweigh any benefit um, that he would bring. And I think the other thing too is, um, you know, certainly, um, especially these days, you know, character um, comes a lot into a team selection. So, um, you know, I think if you were, um, you know, had been brought out on the English tour, done all the right things, 
um, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd um, prepared properly, you know, you'd, you'd eaten well, you'd slept well, you'd recovered, you'd trained hard, um, you know, you bought into the team culture and they would have set all these standards, I'm sure. And then all of a sudden you bring in a guy, no matter how talented, um, but who perhaps hasn't lived up to those standards, even though he is the vice captain, I'll grant you that, um, could probably be more of a hindrance than a help, I think. So, um, interesting. I don't see him playing um, at all in the series, but I could be wrong. Well, look, mate, we'll have to wait and see. I think this is even out of everyone's hands. I saw an interview with Huss saying that Huss gave his manager a call and even his manager has no idea. So we're just going to have to see how that one comes out in the wash. Before we go to our British bulletin, our bulletin from a Brit, Chris, I just wanted to ask you, um, can I get a prediction, sir? Can I get your prediction for how you think this Adelaide test is going to go and who you think is going to take the most runs and wickets? Uh, Look, I think in terms of... Uh, runs for so oh, first of all, I'm, I'm uh, predicting an Australian victory. Uh, just I think it's going to be very close again. Um, but I actually tip uh, Joe Root uh, to play very well. I think he'll he'll um, uh, score the most runs in the test, um, and then most wickets. Uh, look, it's difficult to go past. Um, probably Mitchell Stark. I think for me. Um, you know, the Adelaide conditions will probably favour him, um, uh, you know, sort of in the early and, and latter stages of the test match um, once that pitch starts to uh, break up. All right. All right. I can, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, I think that Australia's going to win as well. I think Australia's going to win inside four days. Um, I'm ticking Davey Warner to make some runs. I think off the back of his 87, not out, he's going to be feeling a bit hungry. He had a pretty average season with New South Wales. I think he's going to be up and raring and ready to go. Um, but I think um, Mr. James Anderson's going to take a bunch of wickets. I think if Jimmy gets right. that ball swinging around, he could be really difficult to handle. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. We will see how it turns out. Uh, let's go to Tom Hawkey for our bulletin from a Brit. Here is your bulletin from a Brit, your epistle from an Englishman, your press release from a POM. It's really thoughtful of Prince Harry to announce his wedding so soon after the first test. I mean, that's why we have a royal family after all. If the crisis is looming, they'll do their level best to get married, get pregnant, or, in extreme cases, keel over and die. Good Queen Lizzie clearly has a vested interest in a better England performance in Test 2. And so from the Gabatoire to Adelaide. It's a day-night match, and I think that the confusion surrounding the changing nature of Test cricket is the reason we lost the first Test. England were clearly playing under the misapprehension that the ICC's proposed four-day Tests had already kicked in. The sheer confusion of having to actually play a fifth day was the reason that they just narrowly avoided the victory they'd worked so hard for on days one to four. Okay. Days one to three. Maybe days one to somewhere halfway through day two. England are now trying to similarly bamboozle the Aussies by sticking Ben Stokes on a plane. It's a move so brilliantly shrouded in mystique that even the England team themselves don't know why he's heading to the Southern Hemisphere. Although rumour has it he's lined up a lucrative pay-per-view deal to box a red kangaroo live on TV. 
Early bookie movement suggests Stokes is the heavy favourite at 13-2 on. Boy, can that bloke fight. So, will the fragile English lineup fare better under the floodlights? Almost certainly not. The Burnley Express, aka Jimmy Anderson, will have better conditions this time around. Facing Jimmy is very much like picking a fight with a great white shark. If the contest takes place in his conditions, you don't stand a chance. Just so long as the shops in Adelaide have got enough duct tape in stock, we'll be able to hold Jimmy together and he should get that ball moving around in the cool and nighttime sessions. Sadly, he finds himself part of yet another England team who seem to have forgotten how to bat twice, or in some blokes' cases, how to bat at all. And I reckon the result's going to go the same way. A staunch England opening followed by a collapse faster than a human pyramid with preschoolers on the bottom row and an elephant up top. However, I think the blame for the first test can really be put on the shoulders of one man, Johnny Bairstow. We've all seen how he likes to greet you with a headbutt rather than a handshake. It's no wonder that the England top order made damn sure they didn't convert any of their 50s. I mean, can you imagine getting into the dressing room with a double ton under your belt? Bairstow would probably knife you on the spot. It's just the way he is. What really worries me, though, is that the groundsmen at the next four venues might have prepared pitches that actually have a bit of pace in them. And Messrs Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins are going to tear the English team to shreds. With the cold winter nights drawing in here in the old country, the press are doing their best to light the fires of hope and suggest we might lose just four of these five tests. I'm not so confident though, and I think that Australia are going to make it three series whitewashes out of four. Thanks for tuning in for Two for None. Uh, a big thanks to our British Bulletin and our main man, Tom Hawkey, over there in the UK. Chris, thank you very much, mate. Any final words before we sign off? Uh, look, mate, um, I enjoyed doing it with you, even if no one else enjoyed listening. <laughs> oh, you and me both, Jeffy. Thank you very much. And we'll be back with another Two for None after the next test. Go the Aussies. None is Patrick Cullen and Christopher T. Barty. Special thanks to our main man Tom Hawkey over in the UK. All editing, mixing, mastering, and theme tuned by me, Patrick Cullen. You can get in contact with us at gingersnapsydney at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook too at Gingersnap Productions or at Two for None. Special thanks to Sean Eggington, Chris Barty, Tom Hawkey, Susan Cullen, and anybody else who took the time to listen to this episode. We'll see you soon for another test wrap-up, and take care out there.